everyone has an opinion and that's okay. That's great. But branding has an objective, right? Ultimately it is to sell. So every decision we make is not rooted in what we want or what we like, what we think is pretty. It's about communicating a certain message to your consumer and making sure that that message is a relevant one to them so that they choose your hotel, your product, your service. Welcome to the second season of the modern hotelier, the fastest growing hospitality podcast. Both hosts were named top 100 most powerful people in hospitality and voted fourth most popular podcast by the International Hospitality Institute. Each episode will get to know an industry expert and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, the modern hotelier. Welcome to the modern hotelier. I'm your host, David Malilli. I'm your co-host, Steve Karen. And I'm the producer, John Boomhofer. This episode is sponsored by Res Recover by Cartstack. Built for simplicity, Res Recover by Cartstack makes it easy for hotels to recapture over 15% of lost online bookings and drive more direct revenue. The turnkey technology layers seamlessly alongside your booking engine and grows your direct bookings automatically by triggering automated and personalized email reminders to visitors that abandon a reservation. Ready to give less of your revenue to OTAs? Try ResRecover today to recapture lost bookings, boost the ROI of your marketing engine, and make your guests feel like you truly value their business. Modern hotelier listeners get free email design and a guaranteed ROI of 10x minimum. Visit themodernhotelier.com and click Offers to get an exclusive deal. Steve, who do we have on the program today? Yeah, David, today we have on Melinda Welsh. Melinda is the head of strategy at Brand Bureau. Melinda helps brands craft distinct perspectives and express themselves through design to foster deep connection with their audience. She's also a co-host of Brand Box podcast and does some teaching as well. Welcome to the show, Melinda. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. So we're going to go through really three sections. We're going to do a lightning round and then get into kind of where you grew up, talk about your career, and then go into industry topics. Sound good? Amazing. Okay, here we go. What was the worst job you ever had? Worst job was maybe the worst moment in a great job. I was working at a stained glass studio and I really screwed up a window and had to take it apart and start over again. But otherwise, phenomenal job. Are you a morning or a night person? Morning for sure. So if you had to delete all the apps off your phone, except for three, what three apps are you keeping? Got to keep Spotify, probably Gmail. I'm a bit addicted, but even more addicted to TikTok. Not a poster, but you know, that's replaced TV for me. What emoji do you use the most on your phone? The like screamy face just to, you know, punctuate (laughs) some drama. That's good. So do you have a favorite song? I'm sure I do. An artist, maybe? Steely Dan, all the way. Favorite restaurant? Oh, that one is so hard. How about in Williamsburg, your favorite restaurant? Maybe just, um, it's called Okonomi. It's this beautiful little omakase spot. Yeah. Okay, cool. It is is a tough question. Maybe I'm going to get rid of that one. I don't know. (laughs) If you had your own talk show, who would your first guest be on that talk show? Oh, I'm such a big fan of Bo Burnham. He does just the most insightful cultural commentary, and the songs are so good, too. Yeah, that would be it. Okay. So now you've got a time machine. You can go into the future or back into the past. Which way are you going, and what year are you going to? 
I would go to probably 1910s Bauhaus era of design, like just to be there to see all those different incredible designers coming together to start a new approach to design. That would be amazing. Those were really good. Well done. Now we'll get to know you a little bit more, kind of what makes you tick. So you live in uh, South Jersey now, but where did you grow up? I grew up in South Jersey. You yeah, did? Okay. I did. So, so how did that shape you into who you are today? Oh, I'm sure in all the ways. The number one way that's coming to mind for me was the school I went to. I went to the same school from kindergarten through 12th grade and uh, it was a Quaker school. And so, you know, it's just amazing education, but also the Quaker ideology and, you know, just learning to appreciate silence and seeing, you know, everyone is equal and important. Those were critical lessons for me. Are you still friends with that same group that you went through all, 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 Till graduation with we definitely had some fun uh, Zoom reunions over yeah. the pandemic, but usually I, I see them individually one yeah. once a year when, whenever we can get together. Yeah, very cool. So you got your undergrad in psychology, then you graduated from the School of Visual Arts with a master's and a degree in branding. How did those two things wind up together? Great question, and was definitely something I had to find my way towards. So my undergrad was actually a a five-year program. So I got a BFA from Parsons School Design, and I got a BA in psychology from the liberal arts school under New School University. And so I'd be taking six-hour studio classes during the day and psychology classes at night. And it was really just what was fascinating to me. And it was honestly a little bit of a hedge too. You know, my, my family wasn't super keen on, you know, going the art school route exclusively. So got to appease the parents. Um, and I'm so glad it worked out that way anyway. But yeah, it was really just what I was interested in. And for a time, I thought that might lead me to art therapy as the combination of those two things, a very direct combination. But then then I discovered branding as really the the intersection of understanding human behavior, understanding what people want and need, and, you know, answering that with branding, which is essentially storytelling. So I I had to go out in the workforce for a few years and put those, you know, elements together. But once I was exposed to that, it was very clear that that was what I wanted to be doing. Was there an aha moment when that hit, when you finally realized like, oh, branding is a perfect, perfect intersection between those two? Yeah, it was at my second job out of undergrad, and it was a startup over-the-counter pharmaceutical company, which sounds bizarre and probably boring, (laughs) but it was super brand-driven. It was all about really cool packaging, amazing design-forward sensibility, really hilarious uh, marketing and tone of voice. And I think I realized, hey, it was just a blast at that job. And my colleagues were just so smart and so fun. But I realized, you know, you're imbuing all of this meaning, all of this relevance to a, a pill that I would otherwise have no relationship to, no interest in. And that is when I, I think I first understood the power of branding. So now we'll dive into your career a little bit, kind of how you got to where you are today. 
You were a project manager, then a creative director at uh, The Door before coming to Brand Bureau. How did those previous roles help you in your growth at Brand Bureau? And how is it, how have those helped you in your current role? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's so interesting about project management is it means something different, not only in every industry, but pretty much every company. And for me, I came into that because I was just an organized person. I was good enough at communicating and I knew the creative process. And so that kind of just made me somehow a whiz, whereas, you know, they were they were doing things that were very natural to me, right? But they were really appreciated in the environments that I was doing that in because it allowed the creatives to be super creative and the account team to, you know, do what they were best at as sort of that function. And, you know, I've come to understand that all of those are are skills that I use every day in, you know, leading the studio that I lead, managing the team, figuring out the best workflow that's going to get the the right result and the, and the best product. So, you know, those were foundational skills and experiences that that I think I draw on every single day. Sure. And now you're head of strategy. So, what are your main responsibilities there? Sure. So really, it's oversight of all of the work that comes out of the strategy team. And our focus is primarily in, it's really the upfront work before design starts. So, you know, you wouldn't just jump right into, you know, making a logo or a visual identity, you'd want to understand who is the audience that this is for? What are they looking for? What's important to them? And, you know, what's the business opportunity? What is the competitive set, you know, hanging their hat on so that if they're zigging, we know to zag over here so we can be different and stand out. So it's triangulating those inputs to arrive at an opportunity. And that's really the heart of the brand that then our designer colleagues visualize and, and bring to life either through graphic design or, you know, interior design, you know, bringing that brand through to the space. That's great. So you currently teach at the Pratt Institute and the School of Visual Arts and Branding. How did you get involved in teaching and why is it important to you? Oh, I love that. Um, so I, I'm currently teaching at the School of Visual Arts. I have taught at Pratt in the past, but right now I'm, and it's uh, it's an 11-month program, so I teach practically year-round. And that came about because uh, I was, I'm an alumni of that program. So I took the program, was so inspired by the curriculum and the faculty and, you know, built relationships that I am just so grateful for in my life. And when the opportunity arose to support those those faculty as a TA. I took that up and that just grew into more and more work and, and a faculty role there. And I love the opportunity to help kind of the practitioners of tomorrow think about our field because it's changing all the time and it's only going to continue to change. And so arming them with the critical thinking skills to adapt and respond versus, you know, the the technique that's what's super rewarding. And I love, you know, the relationships I've hired several of my former students and, and you know, continue to work with them and, and see them grow. And, and that's incredible, too. Yeah, I taught at NYU and it was amazing because you I think when you teach, you you end up discovering the things that you know that you forget that you know. Completely. Because <laughs> you know all these things and you're like, oh, OK. Wait. And then you, when you're looking at the faces of someone who has no idea the history of whether it be an industry or something, it's it's pretty cool. 
Oh, so well said. And, and also learning from, you know, my fellow faculty members, you know, I've been assistant faculty in this one course eight or nine times. I learned something new every single class. So you have your own podcast, The Brand Box. You talk about strategies and the effects of brands. Tell us more about the podcast and why you started it. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's with my colleagues, uh, Dr. Tom Guariello and, and Mark Kingsley. They're faculty at the SVA Master's in Branding Program. And we just always clicked. And part of the, the process that, that we engage together is, is kind of like the Socratic method. We just riff until, you know, we'll just poke at a cultural phenomenon until we collectively understand it. So Tom comes from a clinical psychology background, Mark's a designer, and he's really interested in semiotics. And I'm sort of in the, the weeds of the industry. So I'll often bring kind of a client perspective or a cultural perspective, thanks to my TikTok safaris. And we just love, you know, for example, you know, the latest phenomenon with Bud Light really getting caught in kind of the cultural crosshairs there. Just, you know, a fascinating phenomenon, wanting to understand it. You know, how did we get to this place? Not just, you know, how did Anheuser-Busch, ABI InBev get to that place, but how did we as a culture get to the place that this is how we respond to brand behaviors? Like, that's huge. That's, that's new and that's a shift and we want to understand it. Very smart. Do you have a favorite brand that just does things really well, you think? You know, it changes all the time. What's hard is when you work. I, I don't know if, if you both feel this way, but I find that when you're in an industry, it's so easy to become cynical and to really pay attention to the misses rather than sort of what's going so well. So give me a couple of minutes. I might come back and, and have an we'll answer. We'll come back on at the one. end of the episode. We'll come okay. Back. Yeah, I can be very cynical when it comes to hospitality. But anyway, that's what the old guys do. So, <laughs> Well, count me an old guy then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Well, that sounds good. We're going to move to the industry thoughts now, and then we'll come back to that. So you're obviously on the branding side. What's important for hotels to consider as they approach their branding or, or think about their branding? Yeah. I, a couple things come to mind. I think first and foremost, the brand is so dynamic and the heart of it lives on property. And I think there's a, a, maybe an older way of thinking about it where a brand is just marketing. The brand is just what happens to, to get guests on site. And that's the end of the story. But actually brands now are, are especially, you know, hospitality brands are not only expected to, but they have a huge opportunity if they can extend that brand to be a tangible moment in the guests stay on site. And if they can peak an emotional connection, if they can create a, an incredibly memorable moment, that is so valuable that that kind of loyalty just can't be bought. And so so many other brands in the world would kill for that opportunity, right? To have a guest in an environment that you've completely created with staff members that you've, you've trained on, on how to engage with you with all these sensory elements, you know, scent and, you know, food and beverage and, and maybe even entertainment, right? So completely craft that world. It's an incredible opportunity and hotels have so much at stake if they can really reinforce the brand story in those tangible moments. What advice would you give for a hotel that kind of has that strategy in place, but just needs to put it into action? You know, I think what we see as the biggest challenge is, you know, honestly, the dynamics and, and kind of structure. We've seen 
brands come at the problem from an innovation perspective, but the operations team isn't necessarily bought into that or the marketing team isn't aligned. And so without that internal alignment that kind of all of these cylinders need to be firing and need to be engaged and need to be working you know, in unison cooperatively to affect change. The thinking is the easy part. It's really the the cooperation and the implementation where, where things get tricky. Besides that, what mistakes are hotels and brands making when it comes to really more on the guest experience side and, and what, what are they doing wrong? You know, one thing that we've seen is kind of knee-jerk reactions. Let's say you have a signature amenity and it's probably a high overhead item. And so if demand softens or, or economic conditions change, they might you know discontinue that, pull it immediately. And we see that having a huge impact on guest satisfaction, you know, guest book months in advance, they come on site expecting this thing that might've been a really critical, you know, consideration factor in, in why they chose your hotel. And when it's not there, that is a huge pitfall and it's very hard to overcome. It's so hard to overcome when you've disappointed someone. Especially during the check-in process. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, right away. <laughs> it's a tough. It's a tough way to start out. So, one thing I'm really curious to hear you talk more about is the hosp- hospitable thinking philosophy. Yeah, can you tell us more about this and kind of explain what that is exactly? Absolutely. Yeah. So hospitable thinking is really a philosophy that the founders of Avroco and, and Brand Bureau, the, the companies I work for, developed over their you know 20 plus years in this industry. And it comes from uh, a place of wanting to understand you know, how people engage with one another, how people engage with space. And you know, what they saw from synthesizing behavioral science research, you know, hospitality behavior research is that, you know, hospitality has this power to make people feel not only safe and significant, it has this power to surprise you and kind of take you out of the everyday. And so really every decision that we make throughout all of the Avroco World companies is filtered through this philosophy. So that could have an impact in how you lay out seating in a lobby to how you script a welcome greeting to how the bar menu is organized, right? All of those are are tools in this toolbox. And so we really just use that as this North Star guiding philosophy behind everything that we touch. So in in hotels, especially on the independent side, there's a lot of you know wealthy independent owners, and uh, I've had a history where I've heard stories about how their significant other gets involved in branding or design. Do you have any horror stories where you've basically had to like fire a client because you were just like we can't work with these people because somebody, male, female, whoever, is just trying to destroy your philosophy and what you're trying to accomplish? Oh my gosh! I mean. It happens. It definitely happens. <laughs> but honestly, I feel that that in those events, it's almost been a failing on our part because that means we didn't do a good job of explaining the decision we made and why we're recommending that color or that graphic treatment or, you know, design is so subjective. Everyone has an opinion and that's okay. That's great. But branding has an objective, right? Ultimately it is to sell. So again, every decision we make is not rooted in what we want or what we like, what we think is pretty. It's about communicating a certain message to your consumer and making sure that that message is a relevant one to them so that they choose your hotel, your product, your service. 
Yeah, quick funny story. Since we're talking about New Jersey, I looked years ago at a property in Egg Harbor, New yeah. Jersey, which is outside of Atlantic City. And it was a hotel, a winery, and a golf course. And it was for sale. And the owner's wife had decided it would be much more interesting if every single room had different bedding and furniture. (laughs) So you can just imagine if you're housekeeping, you're cleaning up. Anyway, all right, we'll we'll, we'll move on. So what advice (laughs) would you give hotels to improve the guest experience? I think it really starts with knowing your audience. There's a really important distinction between who you think your audience is, who your audience actually is, and who your audience could be. And so one thing we've seen is, and I think this might actually be a problem that we have to blame branding on because I'm sure, you know, you've ever worked at a hotel brand, you've gotten a deck that explains the the brand philosophy and in it, you see an overview of the audiences. And, you know, we've gotten smarter over the years where we know it's not just about your age and, and your household income. It's about your beliefs and what drives you as a person. But I think sometimes hotels can take that aspirational, you know, picture of, of who your audience is and think, well, yeah, that's, that's who's coming. That's who's on site. And you always have to be checking. You always have to be really attuned to who's actually showing up because they might want completely different things than what pre-launch you ever envisioned this, this property, like who that person was, was going to be. And if you don't know who your audience is, you'll never be able to satisfy them. You'll never be able to have those moments of connection because um, you're not really listening. So smart. So great. So the big buzz, you know, not only in our industry, but kind of out there right now is AI. How do you feel like AI is going to be incorporated into branding strategy and, you know, how is it going to affect it? Oh my gosh, I love that question. We're talking about this all the time. I have uh, a workshop with my team next week on on MidJourney and, and ChatGPT. It's going to change it a lot. What I do believe, though, is that there will be, I think, quite some time before the intelligence is really able to synthesize the work. What I think you'll be able to do is plug in and, you know, what is the competitive analysis of the edition Miami? And I think they'll give you that information. I think they can give you some stats about your audience, but putting it all together and what does that mean for the positioning of of this brand? I think that's going to take some time. And similarly, I think you'll be able to plug in, you know, give me an icon that represents sun-kissed beach time, whatever it is, but it'll give you 600 options and you as the human are going to have to decide, you know, what actually communicates that best. I don't think the machine is, is going to know that. So I see it as, as deep collaboration between humans and, and machines for the foreseeable future. I agree. Slogans, logos, oh, everything. Yeah. You can well, just... We actually have a corner of of our workspace where just the absolute most like asinine phrases have come out of <laughs> of ChatGPT. You gotta give you gotta give us one. You gotta uh, give us oh, one if you remember one. It was something about like it was like a, a T pun, and it was like absolute, like it, it made T E A big T. Yeah, like it was. Oof, it was rough. <laughs> Yeah. I would like that one personally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Machines are taken over. Don't listen yeah, to there me. You go. <laughs> so have we thought of a brand that you really like or that is doing a phenomenal job in not only hospitality, but I guess any any brand that you're really impressed with? Oh, God. Or branding strategy you liked? I mean, my favorite brands are 
nostalgia plays. They're like from my childhood. They can do no wrong. You know, like peeps. I love peeps. I think they're cute. I think they're kitschy. I can't get enough. Hey, that's good. That's good. (laughs) So we have had uh, John listening, our producer, the whole time. We're going to kick it off to him for, for the one final question before we head out here. All right, so you're you're in marketing um, and branding, but you're also kind of like an artist first. It kind of is what it sounds like to me. And I'm curious, what is what got you into that? What is your medium of choice? And if you still do that? Ah, oh, that's that's uh, such a lovely perspective on it. I would I can't say that I think of myself as an artist first, but I definitely aspire to be. I don't have one preferred medium. I just have projects that I love doing. I made a cross stitch for my friend last week and I made a piece of furniture, you know, a couple of weeks before that. And, you know, I'm just always tinkering with things. And I don't know if I can point to one turning point in my life where that began. It was just something that was always instilled in me. I'm an only child, so I had to entertain myself quite a lot. And my grandma, you know, would put a skein of yarn in front of me and say, have at it. And that just grew and grew. And I couldn't live without it at this point. I feel like you would have a really cool Etsy store, judging by the chair that you're in, <laughs> kind of all the side projects. <laughs> I definitely did in college. I don't know how yeah. cool it was, but that was a time in the life, sure. <laughs> So that does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. This is where we allow you to plug away, let people know where they can get in touch with you, get in touch with your company. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I would love for you know anyone in the hotel industry to check out brandbureau.com. We are so passionate about what we do. We just eat, sleep, and, and breathe hospitality and would love to hear if there's any way that, that we can be of, of value to you, listeners. Well, that does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. Hope to see everyone soon. Thank you, Melinda. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by ResRecover by CartStack. Built for simplicity, ResRecover by CartStack makes it easy for hotels to recapture over 15% of lost online bookings and drive more direct revenue. The turnkey technology layers seamlessly alongside your booking engine and grows your direct bookings automatically by triggering automated and personalized email reminders to visitors that abandon a reservation. Ready to give less of your revenue to OTAs? Try ResRecover today to recapture lost bookings, boost the ROI of your marketing engine, and make your guests feel like you truly value their business. Modern Hotelier listeners get free email design and a guaranteed ROI of 10x minimum. Visit themodernhotelier.com and click offers to get an exclusive deal. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you know of a guest or sponsor that would be a good fit, feel free to email us at hello at themodernhotelier.com. Thanks and have a great day.